Hi, this is Pat Blythe, and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is Tuesday, October 26, 2021. These are the pandemic interviews, conversations in a changing time. We've all my intros and stuff we've already recorded. So I'm going to start with I'm sitting here with Dan Clancy, who is the lead vocalist for Lighthouse and has been since 1992. And I actually met you in 1996. Mm. Uh, the release of the Song of the Ages. And it was at the Masonic Temple, if I remember correctly, at Young and what is it, Davenport or DuPont or there? It's right on the corner. Anyway. Yeah. And that's where you guys had. And I hadn't seen Lighthouse in years. Oh, wow. Well, and. It- it's funny that you recall all of that, Pat, yeah. you know, and, and it's gone by so quickly, you know? It's gone by really fast. And my husband, I have to take a look and see if my husband actually took some shots that night because he was the photographer at the time. Okay. But it was a great show. I do remember it. And I have my poster signed. I was, I was wearing, I remember what I was wearing. I was oh. wearing, uh, well, jeans, of course, like most of we rockers on stage, whatever. And I was wearing a white T-shirt with a caricature of a lacrosse stick on it, because I played lacrosse, like, and still do once in a while, plus hockey. But anyway, yeah, so it's funny. 1996. I so had we hair back met. then. Darker hair. 96. Wow. Yeah, I had darker hair, too. Wow. A lot darker. Arctic <laughs> blonde now. Nice. Dan has been singing since the age of six, was fronting his own band at the age of 11, Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Studied at Fanshawe College in my hometown of London, Ontario. Established Collective Records. Launched the Collective Music Business Academy to help advance the careers of performers, Mm -hmm. young and old. And you're working with with and recording singer-songwriters in your state-of-the-art facility, Collective Studios. Dan continues to work as a solo vocalist, also with the Dan Clancy Band, and was featured with legendary Canadian vocalist Ian Thomas, Skip Prokop, and Tom Wilson, whom I just interviewed, his podcast just released, um, on the tribute song for the Canadian Soldiers entitled Canadian Heroes. He is most passionate about helping others and recently became involved with fundraising efforts to assist Durham Region's Abilities Centre. Have I got all that right? That was pretty good. Yeah, you got you got. 99.9% of it spot oh, on. Good. Research pays Thank off. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> so, pandemic interviews has just been a collection of conversations I've had over the past, uh, well, be a year ago, June, I started mm-hmm. just talking to artists about how they're coping, how they're feeling, what they're doing during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get into, there's lots of questions. I don't necessarily ask them all. Sure. But um, just getting to know some of the artists right. better. And meeting new ones, such as yourself. Oh, thanks. So, we're poised at the end of 2019, looking into 2020. What did you think you'd be doing last year? And how much of an impact did the pandemic have on your professional life? Whoa. There's an hour. It was an hour's worth of Yeah, it's okay. uh, Tom Wilson took 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, At the time, I remember it quite vividly. I think it was March the 13th. It was a Friday. Friday, March the 13th. Can you believe that? That's when we got the news from the government at the time that, okay, we're shutting this whole thing down. And it was later that day, because I remember in the morning, I'd just gotten off the ice with a bunch of buddies playing hockey. And we went and 
had a beverage and lunch together. And then we said, okay, we'll see you soon, we hope. And then within that following week, the global fear was something that I had never felt before. You could, you could, you could feel it. You could feel it because everything was shut down completely. And we go, what is this all about? Anyway, and then some of us would do research, you know, pandemic, what is this sort of thing? And then it would refer back to 100 years ago when the Spanish flu was around. And then you started seeing visual things from that era where people were masked and they were learning school outdoors and all of these types of things. And so you were kind of thinking, wow, is this for real in this day and age? Um, yeah. And so basically we... we as family and as friends and as co-workers in the entertainment industry, I think we were all trying to find our way, stay in touch with one another, but not know what we were allowed to do. Because effectively everything in our business was shut down. And, the, and it was almost like you felt, you felt like you were an outcast because a lot of times uh, people would say, okay, there's no singing allowed. And... <laughs> None of this, and you can't do anything. Uh, so it, it was it was a little bit daunting. Now, in my case, uh, I was fortunate because, as you had mentioned earlier, Pat, uh, with my music company, I guess you'd call it, I teach vocal lessons and guitar and, and also songwriting and business acumen and things for young people who are getting into the business to try and help them sort of steer around certain obstacles as they go on through through their careers. Um, so teaching online was the new thing. So all of us got our Zoom accounts, you know, and paid $20 a month or whatever it is to sort of run where we could teach students. And um, we did that. And then you saw some restrictions being lifted, you know, as we moved into, uh, you know, 2020. We, uh, we said, okay, we're going to allow you to do certain things because the numbers were coming down for whatever reason at the time. We maintained our teaching and instructional things and being in touch with each other online. But as far as getting in, you know, seeing someone, that was out of the question. You know, we're working with, you know, and basically in my studio, I have a, a situation much like what is here with John at this studio where uh, you have a glassed enclosure where it's sort of a vocal booth. It's a separate entity from, separated from the control room. And then I'd be in the control room, so I would invite the student in with their caregiver or guardian, parent, uncle, aunt, you know, grandparent, whatever the case might be. We'd stay 10 feet apart. They'd come in. We'd both be masked. They would go into the sort of waiting room area that I had established for homework and whatnot else and, you know, for other students. But, but we made it so that we would spread it out so there was at least a half an hour between students because, you know, for protocol and whatnot else. And then basically they would set their guitar on a stand or whatever, and then the, the, what they'd do is they'd walk into, I'd walk into the control room, shut the door. They'd walk into the vocal booth, shut the door, and we'd communicate vis-a-vis -vis microphone and headphones. And that's how we conduct the lesson. And so that went on until they said, okay, that's all shut down, which was last October. Remember, I remember it was last October. And um, so we really had nothing to do since then, but we kept our lessons. Then we reverted right back to online 
because we had we there was a hybrid going on at the time between online people who were not comfortable being in your environment and people who were and then, of course, we all became sanitational engineers because we're spraying down door handles and door frames. <laughs> you name it, right? I still have so much sanitizer. I think we all do. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so anyway, it became uh, it's okay. My background was I was a part-time custodian as, uh, through the day as I was a musician at night. So I had all the angles covered, right? Uh, but you know you're cleaning the washrooms and everything, so you needed that half hour between students who were who were booked, so that you could basically make the make the environment safe for them. And so anyway, from there, um, we got into this October where everything again nobody allowed, so it's strictly Zoom. And so we went on Zoom, and it was funny, Pat, because what I found was the students who I had um, they range in ages from 11 to say 60, 70 whatever they wanted to do, each of them individually. What did you want to get out of a lesson? Uh, what did you want to get out of your understanding and learning and joy of music? So that was my philosophy. It wasn't cookie cutter. It's like individual for everybody. So anyway, I found that the students who I had who were in grades four through high school, um, they were getting burnt out. So I, I, I think by January, February of this year, 2021, I, I noticed that when I would get online with them and go through some of the motions of their learning curves, that they were just stressed. They were so stressed out. Um, so I made a, a sort that's of a, a, yeah, I know. That's I, a really interesting observation. It, was, it, it, bo it bothered me. I knew that between their academic, being online and academic because they couldn't be in a classroom, and then this lessons, it was almost overload for, you know, being online all the time. And so I just made a um, decision at that point to contact all the parents, all the students, and I said, you know, I think maybe it might be better for all of our health if we just took a bit of a break. So in February, I, I put that message out to all the students and the parents. And so once, once every three weeks, I just sent a shout out, hey, how are you doing? I hope you're okay rely on your music to sort of find some way of relieving your stress. Don't worry about this, that, or the other. Try and find the joy in the music to help you because, you know, it's, it's tough. And, uh, yeah, so that's where we're at now as far as what I'm doing. But now that things are starting to open, it's great because, you know, I've spoken to you about this earlier, Pat. Uh, both of us now have been advocating to do small outdoor you know, based on protocol limitations as they, you know, continue to go from stage step, sorry, step two to step three and beyond, step three beginning July 16th, yep. um, that what we do is based on the numbers allowed, we can do outdoor sort of little deck concerts and driveway shows yeah. and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. So to, to, bring, to bring it back. But you know what? It's funny. Uh, uh, just before I silence myself um I, I think even though people are eager and want to get back to it i think there's going to be a significant fear factor around a lot of people who are particularly in the demographic that for the most part we would appeal to like lighthouse the lighthouse audience mm -hmm. so uh, 45 and up i'm i'm you know i'm being 
kind. I know we're dating 45, ourselves, but I'm being kind. Forty-five and up, I would, I hope. Fifty and up. <laughs> like if a forty-five is still listening to Lighthouse, fantastic. <laughs> but our demographic, and I, so I, I'm, I, I, we, I, I think the the best thing to the best way to approach it, and I'm going to try to because I always do anyway. Glass is half full, and but respecting everybody's feelings moving forward because some people are going to be hesitant and fearful and the trust factor is going to be a tough thing to sort of reestablish. I'm beginning to wonder if it isn't people in our demographic that aren't going to be the ones that are going to be out in full force. Well, that's because, the, you know, it's just like we live music to us has been such a big part of our lives for so many years. The younger demographic um, yes, there's been festivals and concerts and stuff, but, mm -hmm. you know, the club scene, the live music club scene, that was huge oh. when we were growing up. Oh. They don't experience, they haven't been. It's usually, you know, e -e 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 -e. sorry, we'll cut that part out, but on the, on the, on the records, you know. <laughs> you, a, you people the, should see this. <laughs> yeah, the DJs and stuff, you know, doing their shuffles and, and it's been, it's been digital. It's been dance yeah. clubs and stuff, a lot of it. So, yeah. um, I wonder sometimes who, who's actually going to be out in force. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to find out the younger demographic and how they now reapproach live music. Yep. You know, and um, who can afford it? Oh man! Yeah, I know a lot of concerts coming up, big bucks. How's the pandemic now? You now I'll start that question again yes. because you are not are you you're not um, a social media person. I am not. I so I, you're not on Facebook. You're not on Instagram. You're not on. You don't tweet. There's I, nothing. So that's correct. One of the questions was, how do you keep yourself relevant and have your tactics changed? But let me twist that around and say um, the, the obvious question, why aren't you on social media? What holds you back from that? Um, that is a great question. Inquiring minds want I, to know. Yeah, you know what, Pat? But I was on Facebook, on Instagram for probably the better part of seven, eight months then I hated it. I just didn't like where it was going. I, ha I have a problem with social media. I just think what it does is, oh boy, this is a tough thing. And this is just from my opinion and my perspective. That's fine. I, I understand that it's, it's necessary. It's necessary for the people in our business to connect in that way. And to communicate in that way and to draw attention to yourself or try to, you know, get yourself rolling as far as your career goes. But I sort of stick to the old ways. First and foremost, I prefer to spend my time creating rather than dealing with, you know, I'm sitting in a coffee shop right now and I'm thinking about my next big single and um, come on by and I'll sign something for you. I don't, I'm not really interested in that type of uh, connection with an audience. Uh, so I'm kind of like really old school poster, you know, and so my poster is my website. And I just say, if you want to find out anything about what I'm doing or not, or if you want to ask a question, just email me or whatever. But that's the way I sort of see things, which is a really not, not a smart thing. I, I must admit, in many regards, I've never really uh, trusted anyone to sort of 
allow them to be my voice online. So, so never wanted them to uh, basically speak for me. I didn't think that it was fair that someone would have that responsibility on their shoulders to, you know, and then maybe if something was said that I wouldn't say that I'd have to speak to them and, well, why did you write that? You know, uh, fair enough. So, so what I found is, okay, all of the social media, you've got, you're spending so much time on Facebook and you're spending on a, fa- on a fan page and you're spending so much time on Instagram, Instagram and yeah. tw- tweeting and basically, come on now, tweeting, that's, that's me. Too many people hide behind tweeting. I like, tell me what you're thinking right now and I can look into your eyes and give me, give me your truth and give me how you feel so I can really understand what that is. Right. I really don't like social media for that big reason. Davide Dorenzo, the drummer, he is also not, no social media whatsoever. He's part of the series. Actually, his interview aired a few weeks ago. And again, same thing. He has no interest in spending the time. He's got four kids all under the age of eight. Oh, yeah. So he's busy. Oh, being with a them, dad. being a dad, being at home. I mean, this is the first year I think he hasn't been on the road. But again, another person who is not on social media mm. at all and has no interest. You want to get in touch with Davide? You text him or you call him. That's it. Like it. That's it. See, yep. I, I, I'm, I know, I, a Renaissance man. A Renaissance men. I don't know. Um, is that true? Old ways. Well, uh, you know, I don't and know. It's, I, I, yeah, it's, it's hard old, to say. Old. It's it's personal. <sighs> yeah. But do you, do you find, Pat, I have a question for you. Do you find that in recent... Whose interview is this? For each podcast, I ask the artists themselves to select two songs they would like me to play. Dan Clancy not only answered the call, but sent me eight tunes to choose from. It was a hard decision, but I've managed to whittle it down to two. This first song is from the album Song of Ages. Called Remember the Times, it was written by Skip Prokop and Doug Moore with Dan Clancy on vocals. I remember attending the launch party at the old Masonic Temple, formerly the Rock Pile, in Toronto in 1996. It was an incredible night of music and laughs. I managed to get my poster signed by everyone in the band, including Skip, who passed away in 2017. And of course, Dan. Here's Remember the Times.
Pat, I have a question for you. Do you find that in recent whose interview was this times that people um, because it was all new, okay, people are really starting to sort of okay. I don't know if I'm so interested in doing this anymore. Um, Ed Sheeran was one example when he yeah. pulled himself out of social media for whatever the case might be yeah. or the reasons. I, I just to me, I'd rather go outside and go for a walk and listen to the birds in the trees and, you know, and enjoy nature rather than I watch people and everybody's texting and they're walking down the street. I'm going, dude, you're going to get killed. That, I don't know. That drove my husband nuts when um, he would walk. He, he says, everybody's tuned out. Uh, that is it. Everybody everybody's is tuned, tuned out. out. I mean, and you see people walking into traffic, you know, because they don't, because they're not paying attention with the headphones on. He couldn't mm. stand them. His, his whole mm-hmm. thing was be here now. Be, be in, the, in the, moment. the moment. Enjoy yes. it. I am on social media a lot, but that's the nature of the beast for what I do. It's actually a good idea that for me, that my, at least my wife would tell me, it's a good idea, Dan, that you're not on Instagram or tweeting because you have strong opinions yeah and it well, could it could ruin your career don't we all yeah <laughs> you know i know mean? you don't know who's reading it these days so just let's all be happy and just look at the website look at the funny pictures and mm-hmm. da- you know download the music well your relevancy <laughs> is through the website and also through whatever lighthouse is doing as well so yes. there you're also connected to that that's true so what's keeping you busy these days uh, wow. Not social media. We know this. <laughs> yes. See, so I spend a good amount of my time besides uh, doing household work and things like that. Everything's been purged. I think most of us who've gone through COVID um, over the last year and a half, boy, oh boy. I, I was hanging on to uh, paperwork and uh, tax-related information from 1978. <laughs> right? oh. so- so, so there you go. So anyway, everything's been purged up to what you legally have to hang on to. Should you, you know, be a you know, should the CRA come a knocking? Um, and um, did all of that around your household. So we spent a lot of time sort of getting that in order. Um, but now I'd say over the last year and a bit, uh, I've been working on four different projects. One is. In uh, 2019, Lighthouse was fortunate enough to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the band. Mm-hmm. The Masonic Temple show that uh, 
from 19... Okay, so not the one where you were at in 1996 where we did the launch of the, song, of, no, of the Song of the Ages album in 1996, but in 1969, yeah. May the 14th, was the uh, first show that they did at the Masonic Temple. And so oh. that was where it was. And um, basically, we did an anniversary show, the 50th anniversary show on the, 20, on the same date at the Kerner Hall, which is connected to the Royal Conservatory of Toronto. And it was a really nice day. It was an awesome day. Uh, Mayor Tory was there and he dedicated his, uh, you know, Lighthouse Day. And made, so it's just, yeah, it's kind of a nice thing, you know, nice for the guys. And the Royal Conservatory was kind to us and gave us uh, some great props. And um, anyway, so from that show, we managed to film it and record it for the possibilities of releasing a double album, a double live album for our fan base. And so the tracks were pr actually pretty good, but not that good. It's like live music, you know? And then the thing is, if we're not doing 80 shows a year, every year, most bands, they get a little lazy or, you know, this, that, and the other. So anyway, long story short, we're currently working on that project um, to hopefully release it as a double live album. Fixing a few parts, because it's like the Kiss Alive album. That was not all live. They, they took a lot of stuff in the studio, and, and Kramer, Eddie Kramer, basically had them re-record certain parts. But it sounds live. So that's kind of what we're doing with Lighthouse. There's a few things that needed to be tweaked and fixed, like some background vocals and things of that nature, and some parts. And then we're going to release it as that. So that's one project. Another one that I've been working on now for about eight years, and I just keep going into it and getting out of it is a Celtic album that I've been working on for my family. It's uh, I grew up uh, singing Celtic music. And so, so not, nece I. not necessarily Gaelic, but Celtic. Okay. Um, so my family came over to, uh, my father's side came over to Canada in 1825. From? From, from, uh, from Ireland. Mm -hmm. uh, we came over about 15 years before the potato famine. Uh, in, 19, in 1840, right. on a boat called the Resolution, uh, captained okay. by a guy named Peter Robertson, who was the who was a British captain. So the town we were from is called Kilworth mm -hmm. in County Cork, mm -hmm. which is north of Mitchellstown. For anybody who's an Ireland person, uh, so anyway, um, I've been working on this album for my family, and I've wrote some songs for it. I'm doing some tradition, some trad. And all kinds of stuff, playing the barun and playing, you know, the bazooki and the guitar and singing and doing all this sort of thing. But I just get into it and then I stop because of other projects, whether you're with Lighthouse or you're gigging somewhere. And because it takes time to come up with the right, you know, release concept. So anyway, working on that. So that's the second one. <laughs> um, the other two projects I'm actually working on with Paul DeLong. Yeah. And he's been great. Um, he's just a beautiful guy. Uh, beautiful man and very very giving um very 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 funny um so paul has been drumming on what i put together my own album uh, i don't even know what i'm going to title it yet but i wrote a number of songs but there's going to be 14 original tracks on this album that paul's drummed on uh peter cardinelli is playing bass on it uh, peter kadar I don't know if you know Peter Kadar. So Peter's, Peter's a buddy too. I met him years ago. He's going to be playing keys on it. And some of the Lighthouse horn players are going to be playing horn parts and a few other guest people on it. 
So that's that that project and the final project that uh, we've I've been working on lately as well is uh, with Paul is a cover album mm-hmm. because way back in the day I played in the bar scene. I think I played in the bar scene three to four nights a week for 23 years, even while I was with Lighthouse. So Lighthouse, we go out and play a tour somewhere, and then I come back the next weekend, and then I play in the bar. And, you know, and then the next weekend you go out with Lighthouse, and the next weekend you're in the bar. So it's this constant roller coaster of, (laughs) wow, we have a green room. And then come back to the bar. Wow, you're next to the freezer. You know what I mean? And, and no one can see you because the cigarette smoke is as thick as pea soup. Yeah. <laughs> and your head's hitting the ceiling. So it was a, the one great thing about it, we know most of us musicians who have had the privilege of being at a fairly uh, respected level of musicianship and, and work, we have also and still continue to love the underbelly of music. The, the playing in the bars. Good way to put it. And connecting with the the people, you know, in a really no barricades, honest no way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, avoiding things that are thrown at you, or your mic bopping you in the face because someone da- in the dance floor banged into it and you just lost a tooth. You know that sort of thing. So we're doing this cover album, and uh, Paul's been great. He's been saying he's been loving having fun with it. So. You know, I think I could put up probably four or five volumes of this this cover album, but it just depends on. You did a spirit tune. Yeah. Nature's Way. I know. I've heard it. Oh, great. So I. <laughs> because I make my favorite all time album is 12 Dreams of Dr. Dr. Sonicus. Sonicus. Queen's album. my favorite band, but my favorite album is that one. So Paul knows this. Uh, Ed. Used to do the big field drums, boom, boom, do, yeah. do, 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 boom. Oh, Paul, and Paul says, I've changed it around. Oh, it sounds great. Yeah. So what I did was I initially, so how we worked on that project, just so you know, the cover to cover, it's called cover to cover, I think, volume one. <laughs> Hopefully I can afford to do volume four. But anyway, and it's sort of a tribute to me to give to the people who used to come out to the clubs for 23 plus years who are now in their 60s or whatever, or 50s and you know, here's something, here's some music. Do you remember these tunes? We used to play these at the yeah. club. And it's just kind of a sort of a, hopefully put them in a happy place and reminisce about being together in the club scene at that time, right? So you 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 keep on going. So how mm-hmm. are you coping or how have you been coping personally with this whole pandemic thing? Antsy. I'm really antsy. I mean, I have a significant amount of energy at the best of times anyway. I'm I'm really a sports person, sports and music, sports music family. So uh, as far as m- what I love to do and, w- and what really it's, it just makes me feel good is anything musical and or anything hockey and lacrosse, which are basically our national sports. Grew up doing them all focusing on one more than another at any particular given time throughout my life. And could I have been a hockey player? Well, most of the guys I play hockey with would say no. <laughs> they say, Dan, it's a good thing you're in music. It's coming back, you know, so, but yeah, now now that I'm able to sort of get out and play, you know, in the driveway, 
concert series or you know on decks or whatever the case might be we're just now all waiting for the sports facilities to open up again so that we can get back to what we did how do you feel about virtual collaboration you've been doing this work with paul um these two albums yes and i also if i remember correctly lighthouse themselves also released a song not an album but at least one song and i'm sorry i can't remember the name of it i've seen the video a number of times now right. and listen to it so you've done you've been actually doing a fair amount of collaboration uh, yeah uh well that was the only way we could right because uh how we, are you finding it uh, ooh, uh as far as the technology goes not too challenging and you know when you have meetings about things on zoom that's always good because it basically everybody gets to air their opinion and that sort of thing and talk about directions and how you want to approach you know what you're working on it is a bit of a challenge because for the most part you're also doing besides your audio recording you're doing visual recording so you have to set your studio open so much that you can actually put something together that someone may or may not want to use for a video compilation you know editing it down and whatnot but so if that, from that perspective it was a little bit out of my wheelhouse but I you know learned to adapt you know, so we just we just try to adapt with what's thrown our way. Um, collaborating wise, I usually like to sit down with people, right, Pat, as you suggested, where you can actually work things out and the energies and exchanges you have in the same environment a lot of times inspire. It's a lot more challenging online if you're doing something like that um, for a myriad of reasons. We just try and... You lose the feel. Yeah, you use it, that spontaneity. And, and spontaneity and this sort of what I call riffing off each other, you absolutely. know, it's just... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So. I found that too. So it It's coming back. So, you know, and really, when we look at the big picture, we've been, what, 16 months, 17 months? Oh, some, and almost 18. Yeah, somewhere around up, there. Yep. Good Lord. The Spanish flu was like, what, five years? And... They didn't have the technology, advanced technology we've been fortunate enough to be to benefit from with with vaccinations. We're pretty we're pretty fortunate. We're pretty fortunate actually in many ways. Live performance is the key to the development. As I abruptly change the subject, <laughs> <laughs> bring us one. back in. But anyways, yeah, <laughs> live performance is the key to the development of new artists, mm -hmm. and it's also. Key to the development, ongoing development of artists who've been in the business for a long time. I mean, everybody's missing live performance. Have you given any thought to what the live music scene might look like when we start to come out and get out of this pandemic, come out from underneath? Great question. I think that it's going to uh, mirror stop and go traffic on a highway. Okay. So if there was some kind of a stop in traffic and then everything backs up, which is really what's happened for COVID, now we have all of these artists whose dates have been backed up for two years and longer. And then we have all these new artists who have come out. So there's going to be a lot of shuffling and um, advocating uh, championing by some of the corporate people who run the industry, you know, 
for the most part, to try and figure out who's going to be booked, where are they going to be booked, what, how, how many people are going to be able to show up, can we sell tickets, what's the fear factor, how are we going to do this. Um, on top of all that, you and I know this, Pat, as does John and everyone else, is that a lot of the venues now, the insurance rates, liability insurance rates have gone through the roof, like sometimes upwards of 400%. So a lot of these establishments have now been shut down. It's really sad. And now the same will take place for festivals and outdoor venues. So we have a depletion of places to play at. And people are hesitant and fearful of maybe getting into the business to try and resurrect that. And then we have all of these artists who have been backed up on the DVP, if you use that as an expression. That would be the Don Valley Parkway in Toronto. That's correct. Or the Don Valley parking lot, as we affectionately refer That's to it as. That's even more correct. <laughs> so I just find it's going to be really weird. It's going to be funny watching agents and promoters and how they're going to just angle for their people. From the 2001 album, Eleven, Let's Get Away was written by Dan Clancy with Bill Wade of Moxie. The name Moxie brought back a lot of memories for me, as my late husband Chris used to photograph the band in various bars around Toronto. Another close friend, Frank Russell, was also the drummer during one incarnation of the band. I choose this for my own memories, and simply because I like the song.
I also think that for the established groups who have been around forever and we're in our twilight days of our being uh, able to perform, because, you know, some of us are older than others, I think that there is a little bit of hesitancy there um, about touring and things of that nature for someone who's maybe reaching the octogenarian age you know, who are still touring, same as like management or representations of those bands. If they're in the sort of retirement, if there is such a word in the music business. Oh, they're business. beyond retirement age. Right. That's what I mean. Right. So if there is such a term, right, you know, because it really isn't in our business, you work until you just can't anymore. But I, I think there's going to be a fear factor with them worrying about their entourage of of musicians who are on an age. So that is also going to be something that bands are going to have to contend with when working with agents and being booked somewhere. You bring up an interesting point that I never really thought of is you're right. We have a whole bunch of acts out there that, you know, these people are in their seventies and eighties. Ringo Starr just turned 81. So you've got, that's a lot of musicians, if you think about what's been going on for the past 60 years. They're going to start, and I'm going to put it in an odd way, falling off a cliff. Their promoters and managers who are not far behind them are also going to be doing the same thing. One of the questions I had, is this now a good time to maybe focus on some of those younger grassroots acts that are struggling and fighting to find their way because... Us old folks have been, you know, we're still out there touring. They're demanding the $500 tickets and they're, and it's a, it's heavy, heavy duty competition when you come into even a city like Toronto. And it doesn't really matter how big the community is. It's a level playing field now, but they're going to disappear in the next five, five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. We got all kinds of new artists that are just really struggling. Maybe the focus should start going on more grassroots. Absolutely. So that's the dilemma with our business is that we can do it and we continue to do it. And if people still want to hear it, it's just what's happening is it's, it's almost like a backlog where you've got all the new people coming in and yet the old people are still, we're all still doing our thing. And because there's an audience still there for it. So, but with the venues and, and areas and opportunities to play live being depleted, that's such a difficult, difficult thing for live music in general. Not fair. I agree with you. Maybe it's something where we can, geez, it would help. It would help both if, say, established artists went out on tour, but took with them two brand new artists. And what they do is say the established artists would have two sets. So like a warm-up act or whatever, but they'd also have, so one would warm up, then the feature band would do their, you know, or whatever it might, the feature band might not be the old band, they might be the young band. And then there would be two acts, so one as an opener and then one in between the sets. So you get like, it's almost like a festival where you have well, multiple it's mentoring acts. too. It is. And, and also uh, passing the baton. Yeah. Right. It's passing the baton and sort of like gracefully sunsetting yourself out of the picture. Right. 
but mentoring and you know but you know but the problem is the ego thing right pat because depends on the people like some of the egos will go no i'm not doing that but like me i'd love it because i'm a teacher so i would be so i'd be honored to be able to help some young or middle group or individual come up through the ranks and establish themselves. Well, you know, that's how they did performers. it in the 60s. They just haul, I mean, come on, you know, join us there on tour. And, and I mean, sometimes the opening act was better than the feature act. Absolutely. But, but everybody, you know, everybody had fun. Every It was, I mean, nobody was seemed to be really concerned about Absolutely. you're better than me or I'm better than you. Or I think we need more festivals. We need more festivals where we have multiple groups of all demographics, ages, styles being able to play the festival. What happens too is people would appreciate the the diversity of musicality, yeah. like they did say, you know, not not like Woodstock or whatever, you know. Yeah, yes, but more of them on a smaller scale. Mariposa is a really good one here there in Canada. Go. Summer Folk's another excellent one. I was introduced to so many acts I had not um, heard of at both of those festivals. That's what we need. And that's yeah, and of course, of course, we're shut down that's now. But yeah, those those things are so important um, because we are going to lose. You want me to see that far? Artist development. Yeah, you're talking. right. But yeah, and, you know, festivals. I'm, yeah. John Jameson, who is our sound engineer and is also sometimes our part-time co-host. Um, has just held up a sign that said artist development. And yes, that's what it is, is artist development. That's what we need more of. And that's what we need for the us old folks to be mentoring and teaching and bringing those uh, young artists along because we're going to be gone in the next 10 to 15 years. I'm yep. not even going to say 20. Mm -hmm. I agree. And we got lots of talent coming up behind. Let's mentor and uh, look at those of us who've been around for a while. Park the egos. Yeah. All right. It's a waste of time. Huge waste of time. I like me. Who do you like? That's yeah. the expression. <laughs> raise those artists like you raise your kids. As my father would say, just because your head comes to a point doesn't mean to say you're a star. Oh, coneheads. Park your ego. Do you think 2020 is going to be a career killer for some of those artists who aren't so well established? Boy, you know what? I had that question that I posed to a few of my students. I said, you know, 2021... Um, I'm thinking about artists like Billie Eilish and others like her, um, Olivia Rodriguez, some of the up-and-comers who are on the charts now. Boy, they need to perform live. They've only done it for about three years. You know, at best, they need to have that happen. They, let's face it. If you can't perform, you can't sell because... That's basically the performance was your way of generating an interest yeah. in an audience to get on board and buy your merchandise and buy your music and that sort of thing. So now you buy it online or you stream it. That's no problem. People still like merchandise. People still like to drop 60 bucks for a t-shirt at a concert. And most artists, that's one of their main sources of income is merch, merch and performance. And so can royalties. And that's at all levels, whether you're oh. you're Billy or whether you're um, Mick Jagger or whether you're you know the mono whales out of Toronto. You're just starting, yeah, um, exactly. It's just uh, so yeah, it's gonna, man. Like so, like I've never seen Johnny Orlando perform live, 
I've seen his videos, but he's he's sort of like the new Sean Mendes or the the newer version of Sean Mendes. And he, Johnny Orlando's been around for about two and a half, two and a half, three years. Well, just before COVID hit, he was starting to get popular. He had his third video out, I think. But the there's a, there's a case in point: young young, new aspiring up and coming artist. They need to be able to play. They need to be able to get out there and get on the stage. Yeah. Now, okay, so I'm going to be a little bit selfish in this respect and say, but that said, it's always good if you cut your chops in the club scene. Well, if that's, you have that yeah. ability and that, and you have that access because you know, Pat, John, you know the same thing. When you're playing in the clubs, you're right there. If someone doesn't like you, they're going to tell you. And how do you get, how do you rise above that aversion as a performer? How do you handle that, someone not accepting you? How do you work through that? How do you bring them on board? Because it's all about that, right? It's all about trying to get people to sort of embrace what it is you do. Well, there's the other uh, the, the other point to that too is that I've spoken to a number, quite a number of musicians, not necessarily just during these interviews, but uh, other conversations. They've just they're completely they've been in the business for a long time, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm talking fifteen between fifteen and twenty years. That's it. I've got the full time job. I got the kids at home. I'm I'm putting down the bass. I'm putting down the guitar. Oh, I'm no. just not doing it anymore. I know. I'm not touring. Maybe I'll play local. That's it. I know. And then there's crazy people. So there's people. been a lot of those as well. Yeah, well, this is the thing. And then there's crazy people who just won't give up like me. <laughs> and I'm not I, a musician, I but crazy. I ain't giving up. I said crazy, right? Yeah. So I had to qualify that because, <laughs> because there's there. no pension at the end of this. Yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> I know. We'll, we'll get to that. Oh, for sure. <laughs> You're only as good as your last gig, Pat. We all joke. And I know this is a little bit of a off the wall question, and the obvious there's an obvious answer to it. But I've been getting some interesting responses as well. We all joke about what if scenarios, mm. right? And then what we should be doing for just in case. And human beings are planners. We like to plan, mm-hmm. but we're also notorious for putting things off. We're great procrastinators. I know procrastination's my middle name. So. We want to plan, we want to prepare for the future, but we put it off, we put it off. Do you think there's any possibility that we could have been remotely prepared? I'm going to use a plosive there. Prepared for any of this, even just a little. Or maybe it's taught us a lesson on how not to put things off. Yes, now are you speaking specifically to... The pandemic. Right. Oh, oh, you're talking about the pandemic itself. I'm talking about the pandemic itself. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, bottom line is our, well, I don't, well, see, this is why I'm not on social media. No, but that's because good. Because pro- I mean, personal opinions start to rear their ugly heads, that's right? the whole point of this is personal opinions. Okay. Too much good conversation to be omitted. So we're breaking Dan's interview into two parts. We end with a question that has had many diverse answers. Join us next week for Dan's very interesting and unexpected response. Could we have been better prepared? This interview was recorded at Soundhouse Studio, located on Eastern Avenue in Toronto, Canada. Owned by producer-engineer John Jameson, John is also my co-editor and mixer for all the interviews we record at Soundhouse. 
He makes us all sound good and me sound like I know what I'm doing. With respect for the times we live in right now, all appropriate safety measures are taken during any in-person interview recorded at SoundHouse. Many thanks go to Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong for writing and performing the fantastic theme music for the show. And to all of you who have tuned in to listen to what these artists have to say, thank you for taking the time and inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. I am Pat Blythe. You're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening. Mm-hmm.